0: this works. So I'm hoping this works. If you are
1: someone who is online and you are getting this, you could just let us know by uh, texting me or you can even Facebook message me and that will make it clear for us. We are trying to figure this out I'm ready before we go truly live at eight. and figured it will go, go a little bit earlier.
0: So, if you are there, let me see.
1: A little
0: bit earlier. George, can you say something? Um, I'm excited about tonight. What's going to happen? And uh,
2: um, can you hear me if I speak now?
1: Yeah, I think you need to speak up a little bit more. And maybe closer to the computer.
2: Should it be a bit closer like this? Yes,
1: now I hear you better.
2: You hear me well now. Yes. Okay.
1: Okay. just an FYI, I see Carolyn in the reflection off yeah, the
2: glass. I need
0: to speak up a little bit more. I'm disappearing this now. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Closer
2: to the I hear some other noises. You
0: are hearing... Now I hear you. Now I hear you. Hold on. you hear me okay now? No. You you're faint now. You hear me okay? No, it's not loud at all, it's very soft. Okay, hold on. Let me try it. How about now? Do you hear me okay? Talk now. You very well. well, do you okay.
2: hear me? I could hear you. You did something, and it—I could hear you clearly. Okay. Yeah.
0: Speak. Well, do you hear me? Okay. I could hear you. You did something, and it.
1: See, that's the problem is that I'm hearing it through the Facebook loop and then I'm
0: hearing it through um, Zoom. So I need to figure out how to mute the Facebook side. Yeah. You have to do Facebook at the same time as this. Okay. Hold on. Then take a chance. All right. Do you hear me still? Yeah, I hear yeah, you well.
1: Okay. I'm hoping that um, everything worked out
0: because
1: <laughs> <laughs> I shut down Facebook for my for me to view, and yeah. I'm just hoping it's still coming in. Let me just check,
0: and then I can text someone on my phone. So George, just uh, just to let you
1: know, this is live,
2: <laughs> and it's working.
1: Yes, and it is live, and so
2: <laughs> okay. So I must watch what I say now.
0: <laughs>
2: okay, <laughs> that's the <a,
0: how> always <laughs>
1: Oh, well, it is a. Uh, Good to have you here. Um, I know this is a, we're starting earlier than people had anticipated, but I think uh, it will be a good opportunity. Let me just see. I want to see if there's any way I could get to Facebook, because I would love for people be, to be able to ask questions through it, but I don't want to.
2: Is this another device that you could use, like Jack's computer or something like that? <laughs>
1: Yes, that is a good idea. The problem is that I haven't downloaded Facebook onto my Facebook account, onto those. So there's got to be a way that I can um, basically. Just whatever you
2: do, don't change anything now. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Resist the temptation. Get somebody (laughs) online who's on Facebook and they can take screenshots or something like that, you know?
0: Yes. Well, maybe...
1: I'm going to have to reply some. Uh...
2: Sam, do you know Faith Life? Oh, that's, I guess that's a Logos thing. Eh?
1: Oh, yes, that's right.
2: Yes, I do yeah. know Faith Life. I see they've just waived the subscription fees for the next six months on premium for churches so they could stream, do live streaming. I don't know if it's a better way. or. What. You would think
1: Facebook and YouTube would be better because they're much bigger companies.
2: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we're using Zoom too. <laughs> well, I don't know who I don't have confidence in, either in those companies or in the guys who's trying to set us up. <laughs>
1: Well, at least we're trying. Yes, we're doing well. <laughs> we're getting closer.
2: <clears throat> I'm just going to get my cable to my computer.
1: Everyone, so uh, just to let you know, we are officially starting at 8 p.m. We just want to make sure that all things are well. So feel free to step aside, do what you need to do. You can ask questions on the comments section here. I already have a bunch of questions that... Uh, I'll be answering as uh, they'll be sending to George as well. So if you, like like I said, you're totally welcome to ask more questions and I will try to get to them as soon as possible. So feel free to pop start populating uh, the questions.
0: Sam? Yes. So we will
1: not
2: do the YouTube one then, is that right?
1: No, it's just Facebook on this page. But it is an open um, video, so anyone can see this page and see this
0: video. And I will be recording. In fact, I just started recording. So...
2: Does it actually record um, the video or just the audio? Records the video. Is that so? That's interesting. And how long will it keep it?
1: Will it keep it? Yeah. It'd be to the end. It's recording directly onto my computer and I'll be
2: able to post it. And you can keep it for as long as you want to on your computer. Oh, that's interesting.
0: Yep. Oh. It's saying my comments are blocked. How do I block? How do I unblock these comments? Um, hmm. Tight. We have seven minutes to start. Hmm. Go to chat. You mean to chat? Uh, no, on the on Facebook. On Facebook. We have six minutes left. So give a little bit more time. But George, how
1: was it walking around today? Or doing what you did? Or did you just stay inside the whole time? Well, how was your jog? Maybe you can tell everyone about that.
2: Well, it was to start off a little bit illegal because I went to go and jog in a park and it had a sign on it closed due to the coronavirus. And I thought, how can you close a park? Because of the virus. I mean, people should be encouraged to go to the So I went in anyway. and um, But it was so slippery. <laughs> a steep uphill. And so I ran up the first hill. And I thought, okay, my conscience got hold of me. I thought, let me rather go back. Because they had a sign. And I turned to go down the hill again. And I started picking up momentum. Because it was slippery mud. And I was sliding down that hill. And I couldn't stop myself. And I was heading for this fence, jumping and diving and trying wow. to and trying to stop. I had this images of when I went for a ski the first time in Canada and I realized if I don't fall now I'm gonna hit the tree at hundred kilometers an hour. <laughs> and so but when I went out of the park, the sign was removed. So it was a mm-hmm. mistake. And so oh. yeah. No, I mean they were, they encouraged people to go and walk in parks and things like yes, that. Yes. So I think it was just misplaced. But it was wonderful and again, the same as when I went to a gym. The only people I saw walking on the sidewalks, honestly Sam, all of them older than seventy. It is so bizarre it's like the people who are supposed to lock down they're the ones enjoying the sun and the dogs and the, and they greeted and we talked you know, and i didn't see a young person <laughs> it was It was just amazing. It speaks so much of the psyche and um, of the society mm. and the different layers. And honestly, like when I went to the gym on Monday, we were seven people and I was the youngest. And um, there was not a young person in that gym. And all these old people were there. So it's, it's clear that they're not threatened by this thing. They're not panicking at all. They just continue to do what they were doing. Yes. And, and today in the streets, honestly, it was... A, only people. I saw young people driving in cars, mm. but I, I didn't see anybody walking. So
0: mm. it,
2: it, it's so interesting. I learned so much at the mm. moment, just observing, you know, and and looking. Um, yeah, it was fascinating.
1: That is fascinating. Yeah. I think the the seniors, the, the
2: elderly people, they're all, all waiting for all the other people to get off the roads, <laughs> the parks. can have be dreaming about these days. <laughs> Mountain bikes and the crazy people, you
0: know. Oh what a time. Yeah. Yeah. Give it a little bit more time and then we are getting ready to go.
2: We had a great day with Linda, also. It was so nice to spend time with Linda.
0: Mm. Yeah. Wonderful.
2: Friend of hands for many years, eh? hmm. hmm. She remembered when the team slept in containers in Mozambique. <laughs> 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 I said to her, She must come back. It, it has changed a little bit. <laughs> 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 yes, Sue
1: has wonderful uh, memories of sleeping in a container in Northern Beach. Stella, too. Stella slept in a container at Mozambique I had a great
2: time with Stella, also. She okay. visited us, it was so nice. Oh. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, I think we are getting ready to begin.
0: Mm-hmm. We're about one minute away. <laughs> You want
2: us to do a countdown,
0: son? <laughs> do you think you can? Do you have an apple
1: there you could drop? Do you <laughs> even know what that means when I say an apple dropping? No. Okay, I figured you wouldn't. That's an, a very American thing. In New York City, every New Year's Eve, they drop this apple uh, from the sky. Yeah, of course, yes. And, uh, Times Square, right? <laughs> yes, in Times Square. So. Yeah. We'll see if we can answer... answer uh, at least some of these questions, and I would like for it to, um, for others who are on, to be able to ask some questions as well, because that might be, so it's 8 8 p.m., welcome everyone, and we're excited to do our second evening devotions. Tonight, unlike last time, I'm not physically present with George. Um, I feel like, uh, actually, especially for my family, we've had to self-isolate after Carissa came home so she came home uh, yesterday and was feeling a little off so we are quarantining yay uh, but excited to have George with us again it, you know it's almost like you're back in South Africa <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you probably almost as little as I've seen you when you were in you know all those thousands of miles away it's almost the same thing But thank you for joining us. Um, let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you that, as I just shared, even though whether we are thousands of miles away or in the same home, or even connected through the internet, that you are the God who is omnipresent. What a uh, what a important trait and characteristic of yours, Lord, that we often take for granted. We often think of your omnipotence and omniscience, but in this time where so many people are isolated and alone, how special it is to know that you are omnipresent, that you are everywhere, that by your Holy Spirit you indwell amongst your people. And so we thank you, O Lord, that you are with us through your Son, Jesus, most of all, by his Spirit. Thank you for this evening. I pray for those who have been consumed with life, with worries, with fears, with uh, all sorts of different thoughts and concerns. I pray that you would grant your peace, which as we are reminded in Philippians, that it passes understanding, it transcends understanding. So we just ask for your peace today. We bless you and we thank you, Father, for your constant mercies to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one of the things that I had heard about our last time together is that people weren't really either able to hear or dropped in, came in early or later, and they weren't able to hear exactly the circumstances behind your, your visit with us and how God used that very specifically to bring you here and to, um Yeah bring it together. So um, I'd love to hear your story again, if you could just repeat that of, you know, how the Lord brought you here in the midst
0: of
2: it. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Um, very briefly, I would just share it because I think there's something that goes with the story. Um, in January, Carolyn, I, as we've done the last couple of years, spent a number of weeks in Zambia where we launched the new year, the Watchword. And, you know, last year I was there, I had a Terrible malaria and <laughs> we went there armed to, to our teeth this time um, not to get malaria. It was virtually impossible for a mosquito to, to come within 20 meters of me. But I remember distinctly one morning I went for a run at about quarter past five. It was just such a beautiful morning. And, and I remember the gate at Kacheli was locked. I couldn't get it out, so I had to jump over the gate. And as I jumped over the gate and I landed, I could so clearly remember. I felt like <laughs> something just bit me. Well, 36 hours later, I was manned down with malaria and... Man, it got me so hard this time. Um, I was so happy Carolyn was there.
1: Malaria for, George? What number yes? is this? Sorry? What number time of malaria? How many times have you caught malaria? Um, in
2: the last two years, this is the fourth time. What about in your life? Oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no but number. <laughs> and, and, but anyway, so um, it did hit me very hard. Like, really, it was a terrible strain that it knocked me very hard. Mm. And, and my recovery was slow. And, and so, Carolyn and I did, towards the end of our time in Zambia, we connected to Flynn and said, perhaps we should cancel the U.S. trip. Because it was a unique trip. It wasn't a planned, very busy visiting people. It was always going to be only a relational time where I was going to do some writing, praying, but mainly we felt God just wanted us to be here. And so we asked Lynn, Do you agree that maybe we should cancel it? And Lynn resisted that a bit and he said, um, Pray about it for a week. And so we went to go and pray, Carolyn and I went to go and pray separately. She went back to South Africa and we prayed for a week. But I asked one more person that I trust very much with the relationship with God and his prayer life in Cape Town. And he knew nothing about hands. I mean, he knows me because he married one of my nieces, but otherwise he knows nothing about me. And so I I just said to him, I'm considering to cancel a trip to the U.S., pray with me. And after a week, he came back quite boldly and he said, you must go. Mm. And I said, why do you say I must go? And he said, something significant is going to happen while you're there. And God wants you to be there. Now, before that, that, early that morning when I spoke to Carolyn, we felt convicted in our hearts that we have to stick to our word and go. But we were waiting for a real confirmation. And this guy gave us a clear word that God wanted us in the U.S. because something was going to happen. And so... I don't have to tell you much after that. Now, the the big story behind that really that I want to say is that it just gives us a deep understanding that even though this is a global crisis we're facing right now and its proportions like we can't imagine, God is a God of individuals. He knows. He places us. He doesn't waste a moment. He doesn't waste time. He's always busy working in our lives preparing us, loving us, and using us. And, and so this was so important for me to share it with all of you, also to say, what can I do? You know, what I mean, what can I bring to this? But nothing. And yet God felt it was important for me to be here and for us to Skype tonight and for us to talk about it because This is no waste. This is no coincidence. This is not a virus out of control. Mm. Behind all of this is an amazing, amazing loving father. And and I want to start the introduction tonight with that, Sam, if that's okay. Just based on that story. And just to say, first and foremost, when we're going to talk tonight, the foundation of this thing is that our message is a message of hope. Now we, we cannot operate outside the realm of hope. The moment we move out of hope, we, we are outside our realm, our spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. Whatever we do, whenever, everything we do, we are prisoners of hope. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So first and foremost, everything we say we do is based on a hope that can't always be understood, can definitely not always be seen. Um, it's impossible to please God without faith. But the hope is the fundamental thing and attitude that we work from. And, and this must be, uh, even though we are a jars of clay, even though we are messy, and man, we are messy at the moment. God still say, I can use you, I can use the jars, and your, your attitude is one of hope. And that is what we must bring. And I think in a culture where everything is instant, this is a moment of grace. This is a moment, it doesn't look like it doesn't feel like it, but that's why I'm asking us, can you see what I see? Can you catch what I catch at the moment? And the privilege I have is I'm in a foreign culture. And so I can see what you got. You know, when you come to my culture, my background, you can see everything, all my blind spots. That's, just, that's why God loves it when you go, cross-cultural. We, we can encourage each other. So I'm asking you tonight, can you see what I see? This is a moment of grace for all of us. It might not feel like grace. It might initially feel like we're anxious and worried and scared. But I'm asking all of us, let's stop and by faith say, our loving Father has given us a moment of grace. And in a a culture of instant solutions, instant food, instant everything, I want to dare to say, God has stopped the sun. He said, I will grind you to a standstill. Not because I'm angry with you or hate you. I, you might be a little bit upset with us, to be honest. But uh, but I'm doing it because I'm trying to get your attention. And so think for a moment, Sam, in a history, certainly in our lives, has there ever been a moment, not even 9-11, that the society was reset like it's done right now? Suddenly, um, as I sat with Lynn this morning and we spoke, suddenly fathers and mothers of children are locked up in a house. Some of them have not talked to each other for years. Can you see when you just turn this thing a little bit around, you just start looking from a view that God is a loving God and he's trying to draw our attention and he has got to do something radical here because we've been running wild. Mm. And, And I want to just start with that picture because then when we go deeper and we say things that might expose us a little bit, then we always remember we've built it upon um, the foundation of hope. Yeah. Prisoners of hope. Yeah. We cannot operate outside hope. I'm so excited about this time. Sam, yeah. I honestly, I, I, even though me and Karen are stuck in the US. <laughs> I love your country, don't get me wrong, but good Lord, would I love to be an African this time. This is but I'm here and I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to give everything I have. I'm going to throw myself at it because this is a fine moment that I don't want to miss. Mm. Amen. So
1: some questions ready. <laughs> okay. First question is uh, what are the American, well, sorry, I'm sort of, what are the, What are the challenges you've observed with American Christianity yeah. versus yeah. Christianity outside of the US? Or yeah. yeah. What are some of the observations, challenges?
2: Yeah. I mean it's it's obviously a massive question, right? That I will do injustice to and I'm certainly not an expert on that at all. I'm I'm an expert on nothing actually. But I would say this. If I talk about American church now, I don't talk about the U.S. specific. I talk more about the first world in that sense. Yes, okay? right. I, yeah, I would say the first and foremost, the thing that's very blatantly open and clear to see is that you guys have lost community. And that's why you lost the real Jesus in that sense, because the Trinity is community father say look at my son and do what he say son say don't do anything what the father didn't tell me Uh, son say i'll give you the holy spirit the holy spirit i'll say i'll show you the um i think uh eugene peterson or somebody called it the dance of grace in a sense it's a beautiful trinity that community and we were invited into that community as adopted sons and daughters and so the cornerstone of christianity is community um it's diverse community. Actually, if you look at Revelation, speaking about every tribe and nation will be together. So we were called to be a community and to look after each other and to dwell together and to eat together and to look after each other. But in the United States or in the developed world, we uh, adopted radical individualism. Work workaholics. Um, We live in social media profiles. That's where we show who we are. We are completely isolated. Um, There's a a loneliness and a brokenness. That's the nicest way in which I can say it. Um, In the church. And you see it play out in divorces, father-children relationships, mental pandemic, church splits, people... um, not wanting to be accountable in any way. So I would say the weakness that our, if we can talk about that, um, or the things that we from an African perspective can look into North America, that's the pain that we see in North America. I I said to somebody what I would love to do as a project. Maybe somebody will sponsor me. (laughs) I need a little video camera that can fit on my pocket. I want to take a video when I go to Australia, England, Canada, and the US. I want to video the school children when they come out of school. I talk about the, the, the senior children. I want to video the way they walk and their faces because I watch them. And then I want to go and video the children that come out of schools in Lagos and in Swaziland. And, and friends, it's unbelievable. Those kids walk out of there in Lagos and they rags and dirty and no shoes but when they come out it sounds like the thunders roaring as they laugh it's incredible the laughter and the joy and I see the children coming out of schools in the the United States and those kids are carrying a burden that's unbelievable Mm -hmm. Um, and that's it's very evident if you travel a lot that you can see that so I would say loneliness no community mm-hmm. no real community fake communities like social media and I think Jesus was brought into that and as long as he doesn't demand too much from us because after all he's a good God that wouldn't ask us to do something that we wouldn't like to do then that is a comfortable where we Believe that if I pray this in this prayer, I surrender my life. I don't question the sincerity of that. I receive eternal life. So that's my, may I respectfully say, my pension.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: now I can live the American dream. Mm-hmm. So I live the American dream, knowing that there's even a better one coming after that. Mm-hmm. That's unique to the, the first world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do you? Um... How does having an eternal perspective in Christ, that is to say that uh, we're not long for this world, impact how you deal with the fear of
2: today or the uncertainty of today?
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. I, I got a, I got an audio this morning from Esther, actually from Lagos, um, because I I listened to a, a word that somebody shared, earlier. Um, morning from Nigeria. And so I contacted Esther, who's a woman. Um, she lives with HIV and she's got lots of children. She's caring for many children. Um, and I asked her how she's doing and I told her what I observed in the United States. And the the way she responded was just so telling. And she just laughed and she said to me, This is God. This is God. We trust God because He is our Father. (laughs) Sam, I honestly, in my heart, don't
0: believe
2: 90% of us in outside Africa, in the developed world, I put myself gladly with everybody there. I don't think we think about eternal life three times a year because we are so caught up with our well-being here and what we need and can get and want. And it's, it, it's really something that I think we should deeply challenge ourselves on and say, if we really study what Paul writes and he say, for me to live is for Christ and to die is to gain, and he explained it and you you understand it in your heart, it genuinely To die is okay. This is only a short, short introduction to what is coming. This is not the life. But, you know, we can't even talk like that. Mm. I can't openly speak like that in churches because people get offended. Because because we haven't conquered death yet on this side, nobody talks about death. We're not allowed to. You know, when we buried my mother, uh, people watched from all over the world. We got emails from Australia and from the UK and from America. People said five o'clock in the morning, they were lying in their beds watching and they wept the whole day. Not because they were sad, but because they've never seen a funeral like that. We, we took the hands children to help us to let the coffin down. We, we covered the coffin with our own hands. We let the coffin down with ropes. Death is real for us. Because eternal life is real for us. Because people are dying all the time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I travel and I go to countries like the UK, somebody will say to me that their grandmother died and she was 102. And they will be devastated. Now I'm saying that respectfully. I, I, I say, what do you expect? We are not going to be here forever. 102 is a wonderful age. But there's something better. Let us push ourselves over that boundary of this is it. This is not, if Paul say, if this is it, we are to be pitied more than anybody else. So I really just want to say, I we can't talk much about this topic because I don't think the church is ready to talk about the topic. Because for us, everything is about now. Even our theology is all about now. And so God is going to have to take us to a place where death is becoming more the truth Mm -hmm. and where we're going to have to be forced to to embrace it better.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: So another
1: question was, and that was really good, by the way. Another question was, when everyone was running away from the HIV AIDS pandemic, why did you run towards it? Did people try to stop you? Did they try to tell you it was wrong to do so? Why weren't you caring for your family? Why were you endangering them? What was it that drove you?
2: To do that? You know, I remember two things that happened as we started off. Um, a, one of my leaders in my church said to me, How can you do this to your children? I was, <laughs> I'll never forget that. Um, where I worked, a real pagan place at that stage, <laughs> there were over 300 people. And I remember the day I left on a Friday, the Friday that I walked out, um, as I walked through the aisles, People just started standing up and they gave me a standing ovation. They were just clapping hands and they said to me, We don't understand exactly why you're going, but we admire you. We think it is so brave and amazing. Whenever you do something radical for Jesus, your biggest opponent will always be the church. Mm. that's why Jesus was challenged so much by the Pharisees. We forget the Pharisees were not a bunch of bad people. They were people that wanted to keep the truth. That's why they started. But they kept it inside, eternal. They said the four of us will look after our pure gospel doctrines. We will protect it. And the world was falling apart outside them. And when Jesus came and he had all the good doctrines and everything, but he went into Samaria to reach the worst woman, that was so offending that they nailed him to a cross. Mm -hmm. And I think we should and we must expect um, religious resistance whenever we do something like that. So yes, for me and Carolyn, apart that we were the wrong race, the wrong age, the wrong qualifications, everything was wrong. Apart from that, we were told that um, we words were used like we pushing the envelope. Um, it wasn't necessary to do that. We were called communists. <laughs> I mean, all these things were said. But the reason why we could do that, Sam, is not because we were brave or clever or anything. The reason was when Christ came into our life, it was so big for me, mm. so big for Carolyn that we were prepared for us to lose face, for us to lose friends, for me to end up in a street with no income or whatever, was of course a concern. But in comparison with losing the love and the beauty of Christ that just exploded in my life, it wasn't even worth thinking about. And so we chased Jesus. We did not chase orphans. We did not chase HIV. We did not try to do anything We were literally running with Jesus where we found him. Mm -hmm. The first real place I ever found Jesus that I could feel his heartbeat was on a rubbish dump with children scratching for food. And I would stand there. Joshua was two years old and he would stand next to me and I would feed this endless line of children. And I would just feel so in a presence of God that I would weep and weep. I couldn't understand it. I wanted to plant churches and preach and do all these things. I ended up in a rubbish dump. <laughs> not it was just finding Jesus. So I would say for me, if you ask me who am I, I'm a practitioner. That's all I am. I'm not a theologian, I'm not a pastor, I'm a practitioner. I practice what I believe I should practice as somebody that was trusted with truths. Truths like love God, love neighbor. Um, and, and that's how we ended up running against the stream. We didn't think, oh, let's run against the stream. Let's be different. We just followed our convictions. Um, you can imagine this white Africana <laughs> going into the townships. I mean, you can imagine. It was unbelievable. It, it was such a privilege, but it was so big. Um, Yeah. But it was just God. I found Jesus. I chased Jesus. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just a, a one follow up to that is that someone has asked, "Do you mind just sharing um, how you came to know Christ exactly?" And I've heard your story. I've heard you share it before, but it sort of dovetails, I think, in with what you just shared just
2: now. Yeah, it's, it's very spiritual. I I was running a marathon and I went into <laughs> to go to the pool. That's very spiritual. Marathon running it is. <laughs> and I walked into this church where I would never have put my feet before anyway. Let me just tell you, it was one of those churches, and <laughs> I so walked George to just
1: to set the scene before even when you were there you you were absolutely not a Christian, like no. you, you had no Christian influences or
2: what about I, I i mean i I had some religious rituals that I would do, you know. But I was, let me just take one step back and say, if you want to know how God has called us, and maybe that's how I would even look at predestined, is I was at the worst you could be. And I really mean it. I'm not boasting about it. I came back from two years in Angola in a war situation. I came back. I was wounded physically also, but I was broken inside. I, I had a. I didn't have the happiest childhood either. And so when I went into Angola, it caused great damage to me. I came back and I would literally work till five o'clock and I would go partying until the next morning, six o'clock, go back to work. That was my life. But it wasn't because I wanted to be bad. I was running. I was running. And I wasn't looking for Christ and I was certainly not looking for a wife. Certainly not. And Carolyn came into my work where I was working and she walked in and Sam, I just want to say to you, I promise you, it was an audible voice. And it said to me, she will have your children. Wow. Having children was like the. When my friends heard we were going to get married, my friends phoned Carolyn and said to her, do not marry that guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's, he's, He's my friend. But I want to give you advice. You look like a decent girl. Don't marry that guy. And so God took me, the most broken guy with no hope. I was an accident looking for a place to happen. Honestly, I was. And he not only gave me Carolyn. And the moment I met her, something just calmed down in me. It was just preparing my heart. And so a few years later, when I walked into that church, um, and I looked up and I just saw the sign. And he just said, Jesus. On a Saturday morning, I walked into this big church and there was a sign saying Jesus. And again, for a second time, I clearly, clearly heard a voice saying to me, I am alive.
0: I mean, I don't know if I ever went to the toilet.
2: I don't know what happened after it. That... uh, That Sunday night, I went to that church. I sat in the back of the church and I wept for two and a half hours. Mm. So sorry, George. The internet connection just dropped out for about
1: two minutes. (laughs) Mine was eating up to the point where uh, you said that, um, that, uh, what did you say? You talked about all your friends said, don't marry this person. Yeah. Yeah. From there.
2: And then... I mean, the moment I married Carolyn, I calmed down. There was something in me that was calming calming down. It's because of my respect that I had for her. And after that, I went into the church. I saw the name Jesus. I felt clearly a voice spoke to me and just said, I'm alive. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I wasn't in trouble. At that stage, Carolyn, I lived our dream. We had a house with a white picket fence in a middle-class suburb. and Galen was looking after two young kids, and I was happy. My work, I was thriving. We were just living our lives. And Christ burst into our lives in a most unexpected way, radical, like everything immediately changed, like genuinely really changed. And I saw the world completely. Then, Within a week, I brought the first homeless person home. And I said to Callan, surely I can't leave us people in the street. Um, nobody taught us that, nobody showed us that. But at night after work, we will just sit down and read the Bible from cover to cover. We couldn't get enough of this. This was unbelievable to us. And that's how it started. Um maybe that's enough, yeah.
1: No, that's that's mm-hmm. great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so the next uh thing is next question people want to know how things are in africa right now in light yeah. of everything. You, know, you give an update update with the yeah. hands update with all the things
2: that's happening yeah. oh can i combine that with a question that was asked um did, yes. the, did the pandemic hit africa already and when do we expect it and so on and i think that's a very important question <laughs> the first thing i want to say is um just in the last four years, I sat there this afternoon preparing. I personally, with the communities that we're working through, went through the Ebola virus. Um, I went f- we went through extreme droughts where countries lost their total harvest. Mm. To understand what that means is when they don't have a harvest, it's like their bank accounts was destroyed. Not only didn't they have food, they didn't have school fees, medical blankets, food. They've got nothing there and they don't have seeds to plant the next season. So I have seen just in the last four years, Ebola, drought, massive malaria outbreaks where children just, uh, at the moment, we've got a terrible malaria in in Zambia and the DRC, Mm -hmm. cholera outbreak in a whole nation, I've seen war in two of our nations. I've seen cyclones wiping out um, 600 kilometers long. Every village just flattening it. I've seen that. And I've seen political coupes happening in our countries. And I've seen TB and AIDS continue to grow. All of these things happened Mm. in Africa in the last four years. Mm. Just to, put it, just to put the coronavirus in perspective. And, and so when I say the coronavirus per se is the normal, I mean it. In fact, the coronavirus might have a much smaller impact than many of the other things I just mentioned. Our biggest problem, though, is when you sneeze in the United States, we go to the ICU. Mm. So the the domino effect when the biggest Christian democracy and economy is taking a knock is having devastation impact on the poor continent of Africa and I'm sure India and places like that. And so we fear that the tidal wave that's going to hit us at the moment, look, we don't know enough about the coronavirus yet. But the the way that we fear the most is going to be people stop supporting, people stop praying, people stop going. after 9 eleven we saw a massive internal the moment the United States created homeland homeland department, yes, the moment you did that politically, the church followed it immediately, and everything went inward looking your Your missions, your support, everything took a drastic drop, Mm. we fear that this might have the same impact. Mm. And you know that when they have budget meetings and things in churches, the guy who's not at the table is always the guy who gets cut out first. And so I, I think, if I'm just very honest about it, at the moment our fear about what will happen in Africa would be bigger than just the virus. It would be the domino effect from what happened in the rest of the
1: world. Right right yeah yeah that inward look
0: yeah
1: almost like a protectionism right based on fear self-centeredness so how do you how do we now prepare our hearts yeah we as in the church the western church how do we prepare our hearts so that that wouldn't happen this round
2: yeah it's i think that's our whole message right i can honestly say I can look anybody in the eye and say if I travel to the US or I can look at somebody and say the best gift I can give you in this world come to Africa you need it you need it you might not know it might not feel like it even when you come back but you need it that's why it's the moment you did to cross that line there to go, get there to hear another person's story, to see something else. It, that is the antidote against inward mm. lifestyle, against consumerism, materialism, and selfishness. And yeah, we're just going to have to push that. Now, the hope that I have, this is not nice to you necessarily yeah. Uh, this is like drinking castor oil. I don't know if you guys had cast oil. In you. <laughs> <laughs> but when we go through tough times, we spiritually wake up. Um, that's why every crisis has got two components to it. One is the hazard component and the other one is the opportunity. And and the, your worldview on that crisis is going to depend what's going to be the outcome. The crisis doesn't, uh, cause your emotions, your view of the crisis, cause your emotions. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. So how, you, you, I force myself, Karen and I. Okay, we stuck here. We don't know. I mean, we don't know how long we're going to be here. Oh, man, we're going to throw the sink at it. We, <laughs> And make an impact. We, it doesn't matter where or how we're going to do it, because if I don't, if I don't look at it like that, I'm going to say, "Well, who cares about me?" And look at us and put, and that's going to become my emotions. Mm. So I choose to believe that God. You know, Nehemiah. That was a crisis in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Nehemiah saw people coming in. He said, "How's it going in Jerusalem?" They said, "Man, it's bad. It's a crisis."
0: Mm.
2: Nehemiah doesn't criticize the politicians or whatever. He wept. He prayed. And he got off his butt and he did something. And he caused one of the most remarkable construction projects in the history of mankind. And um, how did he do that? He chose to make it his problem. He chose to make it a window of opportunity to have an impact because he was a, a man of hope. He, he, the fact that he loved God and he could pray that prayer in Nehemiah 1, Tells you that he had a close relationship with God. Close. Now, what we want is when the crisis comes, we suddenly want to have a good relationship with God and say, help us. It's going to take a bit longer because we're going to have to first rediscover him. And in his grace, he's available. He's always there to be discovered. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we're going to lose some skin in that process because we've walked away. Mm-hmm. We've walked away. And I, for this to turn out well, Sam, for us to have a positive view and to, have, to be prisoners of hope and to say we are going to show Jesus in the United States and the rest of the world like never before, like the stories we hear of China now. Mm. For that to happen, we're first going to have to come clean here. That's my country apartheid. If I can just go there for a moment, the white, my, my culture, You know, Nelson Mandela then gave him a platform to come clean, to repent, to to rebuild for, for my child, for Joshua, and for his two children, Jenna and Owen. They could have had a great country, but they could not. My generation and the generation before me, they could not deal with realities. They build higher walls, they put fences up, and they say, you will not touch us. Mm-hmm. And today, my children are paying the price for that. Now, that's, that's now a physical thing, but it's exactly the same spiritually. Somebody asked a question, how can I help my children not to fear?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'll tell you how I can help your children not to fear. By the way you live, by your rhythm. By your response. Are you paralyzed by this thing? Or have you gone to your neighbor and found out how she's doing? Have you, dis- have you gone onto the web? I went onto the web today and looked for volunteer opportunities in San Ramon. And say, where can I jump in? Who will take me? That rhythm and that reaction, that's what's going to last in your children. And that's going to make them not fear. Mm. But yeah. we're going to have to go there to yeah. learn again to draw closer to God. Yes. No, that's good. Yeah.
1: Um, This is sort of a corollary to that question. How has everything impacted teams thus far? And maybe teams, not just now, but even for the summer, this year, what does it look like?
2: Yeah. I think we made at least everything until the end of April is totally been put, what we say, postponed. Mm -hmm. The rest would we put on hold Mm -hmm. to see what will happen. Um, I just think at the moment, even following the news in the United States, literally every five hours, there's a major news conference with new evidence and new things. Mm -hmm. And so um, we prepare ourselves that it's going to become tough this year. Um, It's going to have a huge impact on us. You can imagine... Uh, many people come to hands and their hearts are touched. They become volunteers, they become supporters, they start praying for us, they speak about us. Um, our communities get massively encouraged by people visiting. It blows their minds that people will come and remember their names and care for them. And so it will have a big, big impact in, in, in Africa for teams not coming um, and we are preparing for that because I think the reality is that there's a real possibility that we will not see teams this year um, and then we're going to feel it.
0: Um,
1: That's definitely a prayer topic yeah. to pray for. Yeah. Um, so another question, well, one question on the comments side was asking the question of, you know, we have a lot to learn from Africa what do you feel as though Africa has to learn from the West?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So
2: yeah. So I if I could just quickly touch on Africa what we can learn from Africa the one thing is yeah. you know the 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 Greek word for crisis is to decide. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. To decide. And and it's on a medical term when a patient reaches a certain stage how to treat that patient The patient is either going to die or recover. That's the crisis moment. And so, for example, when we had the last cyclone in Mozambique, and we were there within 48 hours, all of us were on the ground, the leaders, and we saw that the village was flattened. There was nothing. People were literally sitting under trees, grandmothers and children, no food, no house, nothing. And we sat there and we decided we're not just going to do relief here. We are going to use this moment to bring Jesus in a bigger, bigger way than anybody ever thought it can happen, so right from the very first moment, everything we did was not to patch up but to dig deeper into the foundation of Christ. So I think that's something that we can learn from Africa is immediately see it as a moment of hope. Mm-hmm. In what we do, Mm. what we can certainly learn from the United States, and particularly I spent a lot of time with us in Africa talking about it. I paint the picture like this. I say it will not be uncommon for a father to walk with his son in the United States and to see a poor man and then to say to his son, why don't you give him something out of your pocket? I said, that is not uncommon. That's norm in, in the United States, and everybody always say the United States is uh, very wealthy, and it's of course it's true. And there was a lot of ways that maybe it happened, it <laughs> was exploiting, yeah. but I still believe a foundational part of the wealth was based on generations before this one of deep generosity. Mm. And so in Africa, post-liberation, we have to have a huge paradigm shift from you need to give us versus we need to give to each other. Mm. And I think we learned that from from the church outside Africa. Mm.
1: Good. Good to hear. Here's another question. When you're constantly facing bad news and crisis around you, you, George, in particular, how do you keep... From falling into cynicism or despair or apathy.
2: Yeah, it's 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 huge. It's a constantly enhanced. We have to look after each other in that. And um, I always say twice a week I say to Carolyn, let's pack our bags and go. <laughs> so I often feel I just don't know if I can get out of the bed tomorrow morning. I certainly have those days. Speak. The way I deal with that is I am very strict on myself to spend a substantial amount of time with the people that we love and serve in the communities. I live with them in their homes. And when I listen to them and I hear their testimonies and I see the joy in them, it just puts everything in perspective for me. Um, today I received a message out of Malawi. And it's a message of somebody I love very much. And I've prayed much for that person. And today I heard that something beautiful was happening to that person. And and I sat here and I thought, I'm overwhelmed with the whole coronavirus and crises. And here is one old grandmother in Malawi that know I love her. She know I pray for her. And today a miracle happened to her. And she told me that she she sent a little video via the service center to tell me, "Look at this those moments
0: um brings perspective I can mm-hmm. see I can
2: see through my other laser lenses I can see in a spiritual realm mm-hmm. and it it just brings energy to me
1: mm-hmm. excellent what was the most or one of the most difficult community stays you have had. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and just to let everyone know, a community stay is you, someone who goes, they go to the community, which is in rural Africa somewhere and stays overnight, sleeps where family, a, a vulnerable home, maybe a child headed home or stays and or maybe a night could be weeks. So you experienced many of those. Can you recall the most or one of the most difficult ones you've had?
2: Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because I can tell you of a very, very tough one. I had in Goma when we stayed and just before the sun went down, the chief on a village next to our village was kidnapped by rebels and people wanted to get us out of the village, but it was too late. And, and, after it got dark, they kept on moving us from one place to another place and it was it it felt difficult you know i I thought this is difficult, but I would say the toughest stage that I have is like when I stayed with Ramos, one of my our great leaders in Mozambique. we recently stayed in a in a in a village in mozambique actually, and um the mother and the Three girls stayed in one hut and then the boy who is Daniel, who's um, 11 years old, he stays in another hut where they keep the maize. So they, they built the maze is above you. So they build a platform where they put all their maize on after they harvest it, and then Daniel sleep under the maize. And I went to go and sleep there with Ramos that night. Well, we were lying down for five minutes and I could feel the ants everywhere. I mean, they were, they covered me. And and then the rats started coming and they went into the maze. And then as they eat the maze, the chopper things keep falling on you the whole night. But that was not the worst. The worst part was Daniel getting up at quarter to 3 in the morning. And then they can't eat that rats for some other reason. The rats that eat their maze, that's not edible. So a quarter to three in the morning, this eleven year boy go out, he gets up out of a hut and he goes into the field to hunt field mice. To try and be back before this his sisters go to school so that they can roast on the fire these and, and that morning I sat with him and his sisters and his mother around the fire. And the reality of their lives, you know It just so overwhelmed me. I just, yeah, it was just one of the hardest things for me to to get up that morning and to leave them and to go home Mm. and to know I'm leaving Daniel to sleep there tonight and to get up tomorrow morning at quarter to three. And Mm. there's no father in his life. I mean, he literally hanged on our lips, whatever Ramos did, he copied. Mm. He was so desperate for love and, Some of those visits are a hundred times tougher than the dangerous ones or what you feel is dangerous, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they stay long with you. They cut deep into you. They they question your Christianity, your theology, your doctrines, the way you live, the way you do church, the way you spend your money. Um, he comes back into my life in the most unexpected moments, challenging me as I do things, you know. Is this really necessary? Is this the way you want to would Daniel, is this how you do it while Daniel is back there? You know, Um, it's tough. It's tough to see some things. It's not,
0: it's not easy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That is a really good reminder of giving us perspective, you know, in this season is that as hard as it is, there's a lot of sorrows and pains and difficulties. I'm always amazed that, Our God, he sees all of that. He knows what we're all going through, all the time, all the prayers. And he can understand us in ways that no one else can. And yeah, that is what what a perspective this season. Thank you so much. Um, Just really blessed
2: us. Do you mind closing us in prayer? I would love to. Maybe I can just give some homework. Yes, yes. Um, I, was, I was I was looking at the scripture today, Luke twelve, from verse forty nine to thirteen thirty five, and it it kind of addresses a little bit uncomfort in a sense of suffering and why and all of that. So I want us to go back to God's word and start off. He's a good father but then read that and really challenge our theology and our thinking. And the second thing I want to ask each one of us, can you make a list, even if it's just for yourself, but it would be great if you shared it on all your social media outlets. (laughs) Make a little list and talk about the good things that can happen in this time. Mm. Talk about, this is a good time to, to read a good book. Simple as that. This is a good time to to pray with my wife every morning. We're going to walk around the block and we're going to pray for our children. This is a good time to um, to go and see my neighbour because both of us are at home. And I'm just going to knock. Just just I'm going to cross that line that breaks that radical individualism. Some of you might even be braver and go into the inner city. And I want to ask you if I close all the hotels and the restaurants and everything. Surely they close down the shelters also. Where do the homeless people stay? Where do all those guys go? Start thinking about them. Talk about them. Pray about them. Um, Just become positive. Make sure that you bring hope every day in this time. Your nation, your church, your people are going to need it. It's going to get tougher. This is only the start. You don't need to be clever to know that. But... um, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Father, we, we know that Jesus taught us our Father in heaven. Holy is your name.
0: Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. On earth, in my life, as it is in heaven. This
2: is radical for us in North America. Nobody tells me. Nobody's will supersedes my will. I will take what I like and spit out the rest. I will listen to you as long as you affirm me and encourage me. But you say, if I don't discipline you, you're an illegitimate child. And so we say tonight in faith, discipline us, Lord, because we trust you. We don't always understand you, but we always trust you. And we say, do something new. Cut the hardness of our hearts open and bring your softness in. Give us the gift of repentance. The gift. If we want to get this thing to become a, a hope, we know It's got to start with repentance. Each one of us as individuals, as a church, as a nation, Father, I pray, let us repent as we turned your gospel, sometimes into a, a fake one, as we misrepresented you, as we became selfish and we forgot about you. We thank you like that prodigal son. We can stand and just throw the big rubbish down and we can run home. And you are on the veranda ready to have us. You will run towards us. You will put the ring on our finger, new shoes. I pray, Lord, that we will
0: run home in this time.
2: I pray for your church in the United States, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray for your church leaders that they will go deep with you, Jesus. We thank you for your grace. This is a moment of grace for all of us. Help us to grab it. Help us to be the light and the salt and the hope that this nation needs so much. Give us opportunity. Let our feet be beautiful feet, bringing good news. Jesus, we love you. Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit, we need you. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're a great father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, everyone. We're glad you were able to join us and uh, looking forward to seeing you on Friday.
0: All right, Take
1: care. My pleasure. Hang tight, George.